Bayou Lafourche was my front yard. So winter months, I would wake up in the morning to the sounds of pelicans diving and feeding in the bayou. This is Lenore Curall. She's describing her childhood in Golden Meadow, Louisiana, a small bayou town about 50 miles southeast of New Orleans. It's right along the Gulf of Mexico. Crickets in the evening, the fresh smell of grass cut in the summertime, because golly, you got to cut the grass almost every day. It grows so fast. Those are just such fond memories. Lenore is a member of the United Homa Nation. She oversees the day-to-day operations of the tribe. But Lenore doesn't live in Golden Meadow anymore. Today, she lives in Raceland. It's 35 miles north of where she grew up. She misses the bayou. I don't feel like Raceland's home. Golden Meadow is still my home. I still feel like that's where my heart is. I don't hear the bayou noises like I did further south. I'm not going to see pelicans 35 miles further north. Rising sea levels and increasingly severe storms have greatly increased the risk of floods in the area. That raised the price of flood insurance premiums. Those costs are one reason Lenore left Golden Meadow. I was going to spend just as much per month in insurance than I was going to spend in a house note. And I couldn't afford that. Destruction caused by flooding was another reason. Some of the things we're starting to see is for some of the low-lying communities is as we get more and more repetitive flooding, a lot of the infrastructure starts disappearing. Damaged roads and school closures. Environmental hazards, climbing expenses, and difficulty finding jobs that pay a living wage are all pushing Homa people out of the region. The problem we have is with the land loss, all of the buffers that used to be in place, so a lot of the wetlands, the systems that would slow down a storm before reaching the inlands have just eroded away over time. And so there's nothing to now stop the force of the storm surge from reaching inland. It's coming on land at full force. As a tribal administrator, Lenore works to help the community recover when climate disasters like Hurricane Ida strike. But often, people's needs are greater than the resources available. It's just heartbreaking. And it's hard. It's hard being in a position of service to the community. And when you see folks, and it's like, there's not a whole lot we can do. In this episode, we're exploring the effects of the climate crisis on the health of indigenous peoples. Climate change interrupts the expression of culture and the protective factors that culture and identity have on health. How the increasing severity of climate change is affecting the Homa Nation. We're losing land here in Louisiana. I used to say a football fuel every 90 minutes. Now it's quicker than that. And how a lack of federal recognition for the tribe creates barriers to funding and services for the Homa. Our people are on that front line, but we don't have a seat at that table. I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. This is American Diagnosis. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina struck Louisiana, killing over 1,800 people and causing over $100 billion of damage. After Katrina, half the houses uh, floated away. That's Thomas Dardar Jr., a former chief of the United Homa Nation. 
For generations, members of his family have lived on a small bayou island called Ile de Jean Charles. In the aftermath of the hurricane, there were relief efforts. But Dardar says there weren't many long-term solutions. Then they brought in trailers, you know, to try to set them up on there. Then the next storm coming, we have to take all the trailers out because now they become projectiles. They're not anchored down. They're not situated where they can stay that long. Many people who lost their homes in the storm were forced to relocate. So you went from anywhere from two, three hundred uh, citizens living on the island to now you're down to a handful, like maybe 25. While the community struggled to get back on its feet, another disaster, decades in the making, loomed. So the oil and gas industry came with a huge presence in the 1930s. This is Shannon Dora Billiot. She works as an assistant professor of social work at Arizona State University. Shannon Dora is a citizen of the United Homa Nation. The oil field contributed greatly to land loss in Louisiana. Louisiana's coastal wetlands lose about 16 square miles of land each year. Experts say that drilling into the land to reach oil is accelerating this process. In addition to environmental destruction, oil fields also pose serious health risks. Living in close proximity to oil wells and refineries increases the population's cancer risk. That's according to a 2021 report by the World Health Organization. The Homa community was already worried about the risks of oil extraction. And then, disaster struck. In April 2010, BP's Deepwater Horizon drilling rig spilled over 200 million gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico. It was just off the coast of Louisiana, and it was the largest oil spill in history. As far as I'm concerned, BP is responsible for this horrific disaster. This is then-President Barack Obama addressing the nation after the oil spill. And we will hold them fully accountable on behalf of the United States, as well as the people and communities victimized by this tragedy. We will demand that the oil spill wreaked havoc on the United Homa Nation. It polluted the region, destroyed ecosystems, and threatened the livelihood of fishermen. But BP wasn't required to pay damages directly to the Homa Nation. The reason? The tribe isn't federally recognized. Tribal leaders say their status has become a barrier to getting the support they need to tackle climate emergencies. Over 570 tribes are federally recognized. The United Homa Nation and its 17,000 citizens are not among them. University of North Dakota law professor Dan Leverance said that means that the U.S. government does not see the Homa as a self-governing sovereign entity. The Homa first applied for federal recognition back in 1985. These are extremely complicated and intensive applications. I recognize that it asks a lot of communities that often don't have a lot of resources to put into that sort of work. Tribes must prove that they meet several criteria, including that their members descend from a historical tribe and that they are a distinct community. It's a bit of a catch-22. If you create a rigorous process, it is going to make it that much more difficult for marginalized communities to meet the requirements. But if you don't create a rigorous process, then you are improperly lowering the barrier to what is a very solemn recognition and commitment. When the HOMA first applied, they were required to provide consistent documentation of their history. Tribal Administrator Lenore Cural says this was a challenge. 
So for us, you have to recognize first contact is in the 1600s. And so to have a consistent timeline of written documentation is really difficult. You're hoping some white guy in 1800 thought you were important enough to write about. In recent years, the Bureau of Indian Affairs revised its recognition standards. Those changes could make the required paper trail less arduous for the HOMA. Once the nation submits more supplemental materials, their application will be reviewed against the new standards. Lenore hopes it'll be successful. Federal recognition would give us a seat at that table to be a voice for our tribal citizens. With federal recognition, we could work directly with FEMA. There would not need to be kind of that in-between So I think that could take away a layer of bureaucracy. It's not like Willy Wonka's golden ticket of like, okay, all of a sudden we're in the chocolate factory and we have everything. But I think it does open some additional doors that are definitely closed to us right now. Lenore says not having federal recognition has hurt her community. Without that status, the United Homa Nation can't form a government-to-government relationship something that makes it harder to obtain federal funding. Other tribes in the region that are federally recognized, like the Chittimacha, can. This gives them more tools to address climate pressures. In 2016, the federal government partnered with the Chittimacha to develop a climate adaptation plan. But even with that help, the threat looms large for all tribes along the coast. Lenore says the HOMA weren't prepared for the severity of the storms to come. When Hurricane Katrina hit in 2005, I think we all thought, boy, that's the hurricane we're all going to mark time with. You know, before Katrina, after Katrina, that kind of stuff. And I think Ida has definitely changed that. After the break, we'll hear about the ways that Hurricane Ida swept through the HOMA community. On August 29, 2021, almost 16 years to the day after Katrina, Hurricane Ida made landfall just 20 miles south of Golden Meadow. As locals were readying for the storm to hit, Lenore was worried about her family in the region. They didn't want to leave their home. I had to, like, bang my aunts who lived in Golden Meadow and say, please come stay at my house, because they were going to stay. And they were like, well, we've got these 10 dogs. What are we going to do with our dogs? And I'm like, bring your dogs. Lenore convinced them to evacuate. Thankfully, they did, because a portion of their roof came off. Ida reached the coast as a Category 4 hurricane with 150 mile-per-hour winds. The storm did a tremendous amount of damage. Lenore and her role as HOMA tribal administrator set to work on relief efforts. Even immediately after the storm... We had worked with Red Cross to pre-stage some supplies. But Lenora could see that people's needs went way beyond emergency snacks and toiletries. We had people that lost everything, and I'm like, what are we going to offer you, a Red Cross bucket? I'm not even going to assault you with that. Now, almost a year later, as hurricane season approaches again, many are still dealing with the destruction Ida caused. You just still see damage after damage that just looks still untouched. And so we're years 
in recovery. And I just have never seen that. In the face of worsening storms, the Homa people have come together. There's been a lot of hurricanes, and every time, citizens do what they have to do. This is Shannon Dora Billiot again. She studies the effects of environmental changes on the health of indigenous peoples in Louisiana. They roll up their sleeves and build, rebuild, and help their neighbors and and start over, essentially. And they're deemed resilient for it. However, citizens talked about, I don't want to have to be resilient. In the immediate aftermath of storms, there's also incredible health risk of water and vector-borne illness. After a hurricane in particular, it could be months before the city will lift the boil water notice. These crisis conditions pile on top of historic, long-standing barriers to food access. There are very few grocery stores on the bayous. Many people have to drive 30 or 45 minutes to get to the closest grocery store with fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, because many people can no longer grow those vegetables on their soil. In 2015, Shannon Dora surveyed 160 members of the United Homa Nation about their health and their experiences of climate change. She found that repeated exposure to environmental disasters has had a harmful effect on mental health. They'd expressed a a sadness among some people similar to the expression of PTSD. Shannon Dora says federal recognition is one step towards addressing the health care needs of the United Homa Nation. As members of a state-recognized tribe, Homa people aren't eligible for Indian health services. There would be a more systematic access to health care if we were federally recognized. That definitely would open a huge door for us. This is Lenore Curell again. Right now, we don't have access to Indian health services. So our folks, our tribal citizens, are at the whim of whatever existing services are out there. It's months to get an appointment. Communities that do have IHS clinics can also face long wait times for primary care appointments. But Lenore says additional service would be an improvement. I've not heard some of the greatest stories about Indian Health Services, but I think it gives people choices where they may, in some instances, may not have enough. Like many indigenous peoples in the United States, Homa people are more likely to experience some health problems compared to the average American. In particular, we we have um, some higher-than-normal diabetes rates, issues with uh, heart disease... According to a 2010 community needs assessment conducted by the tribe, just over half of United Homa Nation members live with cardiovascular disease. Across the United States, American Indians and Alaska Natives are 50% more likely to be diagnosed with heart disease than white Americans. Social scientists, in part, connect these health outcomes to intergenerational traumas, including genocide and displacement. Chief Thomas says there's a long history of Homa people being driven off their land. We've been thriving and living there for hundreds and hundreds of years. We lived off the land, we're able to supply and take care of ourselves. And as the Europeans kept encroaching and coming in, we kept going further and further south to evade and get away from the Europeans. Today, climate change is forcing the Homa to move again. 
Well, they're in the process. Uh, unfortunately, having to relocate the area where our, our people had lived for hundreds of years due to the land loss, sea level rise. Don't come here and try to tell me it's not real. Don't try to convince me that the sea is not rising. And don't tell me that the land is not being lost. I see it, I live it, I breathe it. Despite the risks and obstacles, some Homa people are determined to stay. And they're not going to leave. The only way they're going to leave is going to be in a pine box. Even though rising insurance costs forced her to leave Golden Meadow, Lenore Curall still has deep ties to the place where she grew up. I probably will never move back to Golden Meadow. That's not, I think, reality for me, or my brother or my sister. Lenore and her siblings don't live in Golden Meadow anymore, but they still own their childhood home. The debates we are having is none of us are willing to let go of that property because we know what it meant to my mom. And because what we also know is so many Native families lost their property to land manipulations and and those kinds of things. And I don't feel comfortable selling it because I think we were a family that was lucky enough to keep it. But losing her childhood home to flooding isn't what upsets Lenore most. My worst fear has always been after a storm or water ever getting into our family cemetery and finding my family displaced and having to rebury them. And my mom and my grandparents are buried there. My dad's buried there. You know, it's generations of family in that cemetery. Constant flooding in the area leaves graves vulnerable. You can't bury um, the dead very deep because you dig a little bit and you're hitting water fairly soon. And so when water comes in, often, unfortunately, a lot of graves will pop up. And sometimes they float, some of them float and move, and they will get shifted out of place. On top of losing land and homes, the graves of deceased loved ones are being disturbed. Right smack in the middle of all of our family community is a family cemetery. I've seen other families have to go through that. And it's like, how absolutely heartbreaking to have to do that over and over again. Chief Thomas Dardar told us that years ago, he would visit his aunt at her home on Ile de Jean Charles, the small island that is rapidly disappearing into the Gulf of Mexico. To see that this island used to be six, seven, eight, ten miles wide, reduced now to a quarter mile, uh, is really disheartening. Thomas and his aunt would go for walks, stopping to catch fish and crabs together. She said, come on, walk with me. I said, all right. So went across the street. She pulled a crab trap up. She had some crabs. So we walked back. She threw her, her trap back down. She had a trout line. And she took the fish off the line. And she didn't let that go back. So she took the fish off and she brought it inside. And then she went in the garden outside and she broke some okris and some uh, beans. Now we're going to have fried fish tonight for supper. And we're going to have some green beans and some okris too. Throughout Chief Thomas's life, Ile-de-Jean-Charles has lost over 98% of its landmass. Its residents are being resettled further inland. Thomas's aunt, who has since passed away, used to worry about the resettlement and what she'd lose if she left her home. On the island, she could get around on foot, barter and share with neighbors, and live off the land. 
So she said, where can I do that in town when they were talking about the relocation? As climate change forces Homa people from their land, Chief Thomas wants to make sure he can share this way of life with the next generation. So he goes on walks with his four-year-old granddaughter to keep her anchored to the land. While we're walking, we're talking, and we're pointing out things, and she's learning while we, while we walk, trying to pass our culture on to her so that she can become a strong homo woman, you know, when she gets of age. <laughs> so we're going to stand strong, and we're going to teach our young people to stand strong and move forward and hoping that we leave something for them. This season of American Diagnosis is a co-production of Kaiser Health News and Just Human Productions. Additional support provided by the Burroughs Welcome Fund and Open Society Foundations. This episode of American Diagnosis was produced by Zach Dyer, Taylor Cook, and me. It was engineered by Jim Briggs. Additional reporting by Melissa Olson. Special thanks to Laura Ann Chason and Chief August Coco Krapel. Our editorial advisory board includes Jordan Bennett Begay, Alistair Bitsoy, and Brian Pollard. Tanya English is our managing editor. Una Tempest does original illustrations for each of our episodes. Our theme music is by Alan Vest. Additional music from the Blue Dot Sessions. We're powered and distributed by Simplecast. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend about it today. And if you haven't already done so, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find out about the show. Follow Just Human Productions on Twitter and Instagram to learn more about the characters and big ideas you hear on the podcast. And follow Kaiser Health News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Subscribe to our newsletters at khn.org so you never miss what's new and important in American healthcare, health policy, and public health news. I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. Thanks for listening to American Diagnosis.